We've been spending a few weeks looking together on Sunday evenings at biblical spirituality. That's what we've been calling it. Two weeks on meditation, and then last time we looked at stillness. The danger with this is that we go away with the wrong impression about biblical spirituality. The danger is that we think it's detached from reality, that it's about disengaging from the real world that's all around us. The danger is that we think it involves being like the typical picture of a Buddhist monk, always tranquil and unflustered and unruffled. But I don't want us to get that idea because in the Bible, the spiritual man or woman is not detached from reality. The spiritual man or woman knows this world can be an evil and an ugly place. It's a place where many children are neglected and abused. It's a place where millions go hungry because of corrupt government. Maybe the most recent example of the evil and ugliness of this world are the reports coming out of Libya in the past week. Reports that Colonel Gaddafi is instructing his troops to use rape as a weapon against the rebels. Maybe you heard those reports. I mention this because the kind of spirituality we find in the Bible does not tell us to ignore those kind of realities. It doesn't tell us not to be bothered by the evil and injustice in this world. Think of some of the great figures in the Bible, people like Moses and David and Jesus and Paul. They were hardly the kind who never got riled up about anything. So this evening we're going to end this little series by looking at one psalm where we see this engagement with reality. Turn with me to Psalm 137. In the Church Bible, that's page 626. Psalm 137. I'll read the whole psalm. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is God's word. We might wish that it wasn't. We might be asking, what is this doing here? And can we get rid of it quick? In fact, people often do try to get rid of it. Often when the psalms are set to music, the last bit disappears from this psalm. 
Eugene Peterson says, we like to perform a psalmectomy on Psalm 137. Verses 8 and 9 get the chop. And in fact, there are plenty of others like this psalm. We find similar sentiments in Psalms 10, 11, 17, 21, 53, 58, 69, 83, 109, 110, and 139. And I might have missed some others. We've been talking about meditating on Scripture. But if we can't come to grips with this psalm, and others like this psalm, then many of the psalms are going to be alien to us. In fact, they will probably disgust us. We won't know what to do with them. We certainly won't want to meditate on them. So we need to face the difficulty of this psalm and others like it head on. We'll try to do that by looking at this particular example of this kind of psalm. Because this may be the most shocking of them all. This psalm has been called the scandal of the Psalter. But here it is. Part of the divinely inspired scripture that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Psalm 137 is like a torpedo to the idea that the spiritual person is always unruffled and unfazed. Here we find a spiritual man, a man of God, who is way beyond losing his cool. So let's look at this together, and we'll find that this psalm eventually takes us deep into the heart of the gospel. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, we find weeping in exile. Why is the psalmist weeping by the rivers of Babylon? The background to this psalm is the Israelites' exile in Babylon. After King Solomon died, Israel divided up into two kingdoms. Both kingdoms were disobedient to God. Both fell into worship of false gods. And eventually God punished them both by sending them off into exile. The northern kingdom went first. It was overrun by the Assyrians. Then the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom. In the process, they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And they carried many of God's people into exile in Babylon. That's the context for Psalm 137. God's people are in exile because of their sin. And God's temple has been destroyed. But the first words of the psalm give us a very attractive picture by the rivers of Babylon. It's an idyllic scene. Babylon was a fertile place. It had a complex system of canals that irrigated the whole country. This was the era of the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. In terms of beauty and prosperity, there was no better place to be than by the rivers of Babylon. But the psalmist and his people are not happy. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept, he says, when we remembered Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. But it was used specifically for the hill in Jerusalem that the temple sat on. And the temple was the place where God lived among his people. 
So remembering Zion means more than just being homesick. It does mean that, but it means a lot more. It also means being in mourning over what has happened to Zion. The temple has been trampled on, destroyed. God's name has been dishonored. His people have lost what they once had. So as far as these Israelites are concerned, it doesn't matter how beautiful and prosperous Babylon is. All they can do is sit and weep over what's been lost. This opening verse is very important for understanding this psalm. It shows us this psalm is first and foremost about sorrow. Sorrow over what has been broken and lost. That's the root this psalm is coming from. Here in this book of songs, the psalms, we find a song about people who can't sing. One commentator says, all the music has been knocked out of them. And so verse 2 says, there on the poplars we hung our harps. Maybe harps make us think about dreamy, ethereal music. But the instrument being referred to here is more like a banjo than a harp. Banjos, Banjos are for bouncy, joyful music. And these people have no stomach for that. They hang their banjos in the trees. They refuse to play them. Verse 3 explains why banjos are even being talked about here. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. We would say the Babylonians are rubbing the Israelites' noses in it. They're taunting them. The Babylonians know what songs of Zion are. They're songs about God's power and God's promises, his love for his people. The songs of Zion were confident songs. They spoke about God's victories. Psalm 48 is a Zion song. That's the one Barbara read for us earlier. It says, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers. And it ends by saying, for this God is our God forever and ever. But now Zion is in ruins. God has not crushed the Babylonians who ruined Zion. One writer says the Babylonians' request is intended as an insult. It's like saying, where is your God? The captors are asking, are you still going to put your faith in God? Has he been showing his power lately? Have you seen signs of him at work lately? Are you still confident about his promises? Captors are saying, go on, sing about how special you are to God, how he cares about you, how powerful he is. The psalmist says in verse 4, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? The Israelites live in a place where God does not seem to be at work. They hang up their banjos. They are weeping in exile. There are some bouncy, joyful psalms. Psalms for dancing along to the banjo. But there are also psalms like this one. Both kinds reflect something of our human experience. As God's people, we have lots to dance and sing about. But we also have plenty to weep about. The world we live in is broken because of sin. 
When we come face to face with that brokenness, there are times to hang up our banjos and to sit down and weep. The Psalms teach us that biblical spirituality doesn't act like everything's always fine. Biblical spirituality is stirred up by a broken world. The spiritual man or woman will not be unaffected by the pain and suffering that they come across. In verses 5 and 6, we find, second, a fierce loyalty. There's a change in tone at this point. The intensity of the psalm goes up a notch. Verse 5, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. We've already noticed that Jerusalem wasn't just any city, it was God's city. One writer says, love for Zion is not separate from love for God. As far as the psalmist is concerned, a ruined Jerusalem is an affront to God. The psalmist's whole reason for singing is bound up with God's honor. That's why he talks about his right hand forgetting its skill. He talks about his tongue clinging to the roof of his mouth if he forgets Jerusalem. The psalmist would rather never play and sing again than play and sing about some other lesser joy. We might want to ask ourselves, do we have that kind of loyalty to God? When we see his name being mocked and taunted, are we stirred up or are we detached? Does nothing bother us when it comes to God's honor? No doubt we get stirred up when our football team gets promoted or relegated. We get stirred up about our taxes and benefits. We get stirred up when someone scratches our car or our flight gets canceled. But do we get stirred up when God is mocked? Do we get stirred up when stupid men in the church invite mockery by setting dates for Christ's return? Do we get stirred up when people made in God's image are slaughtered or starved? Do we get stirred up when Hugh Hefner reopens his Playboy Club in London and says he's all about liberating women? This psalm is starting to boil. And now it boils over. Look at verse 7. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. These verses are a scream for judgment. Or as someone else has put it, here we find a volcanic eruption of outrage. What do the Edomites have to do with this? In fact, who were the Edomites? They were descendants of Esau. They were neighbors of the Israelites. There had often been hostility between Israel and Edom. 
It seems that when the Babylonians were sacking the city of Jerusalem, the Edomites were standing there cheering them on. That's mentioned in several other places in the Old Testament. Obadiah tells us the Edomites rejoiced in the destruction of Jerusalem. They looted the city. And they cut down or handed over to the Babylonians any Israelites they caught escaping from Jerusalem. And what they shouted to the Babylonians is significant. Tear it down. Tear it down to its foundations. This is about more than the walls of the city. It's about all the city stands for. It's about destroying God's rule and destroying God's people. The Edomites are saying, not just smash these walls, but smash this God and smash his people. The psalmist remembers what he heard and saw on the day Jerusalem fell. And he says to God, you saw it too, Lord. Don't forget what they did. He's calling for God to bring judgment. Then he turns his attention to the Babylonians. Daughter of Babylon means the city of Babylon. How does the psalmist know Babylon is doomed to destruction? He knows because God has promised it. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, A destroyer will come against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured, and their bows will be broken. For the Lord is a God of retribution. He will repay in full. The psalmist is calling for God to do what he has promised to do, to repay Babylon. That's what lies behind verse 9. The Babylonians had seized Israelite children and dashed them against the rocks. It was a policy, it was a strategy to wipe out a nation's future. Kill the children and you kill the nation. The psalmist says, happy or we could translate it, blessed is the one who does the same thing to you, Babylon. Happy is the one who wipes out your future, Babylon. This is a scream for judgment. Babylon has dishonored God, destroyed God's temple, and tried to wipe out God's people. The psalmist calls for judgment on God's enemies. Notice he's not planning to carry out this judgment himself. He calls the Lord to remember. And he says, blessed or happy is the one who repays these enemies. So then we have to ask, what does this psalm have to teach us? What use does this psalm have for us? It teaches us that biblical spirituality is not always cool, calm, and collected. Last time, a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 131. We saw that there are many things we personally have to face in life and we have no ultimate control over them. Our health would be one example. The salvation of our children would be another. We saw that those things are ultimately in God's hands. And when we act as if they're in our hands, we'll never have peace and stillness in our hearts. But here in Psalm 137, we're not dealing really with personal trials. We're dealing with the brokenness of this world. 
And as we've just seen, this psalm is not about taking matters into our own hands. It's about taking them to God. Psalm 137 teaches us that the evil and injustice of this world will bother the spiritual man or woman. It will unsettle us and disturb us. It will make us weep. Sometimes it will make us yell. As one writer puts it, the Christian looks at the way things are and he or she finds that the way things are is pretty bad. We find evil and wickedness and injustice. And what we find will quicken the pulse and shoot adrenaline into the bloodstream. Another writer says, the passion of the psalmist here places a question mark against our passion. In other words, if we know nothing about this kind of outrage against evil, if we're careless about injustice, then what passion do we really have for God's glory in this world? In fact, it's been said that we slander God when we underrate his abhorrence of evil. We slander God when we underrate his abhorrence of evil. If we belong to him, we must share his abhorrence of evil. This psalm tells us we must not get comfortable with evil. We must not get complacent about injustice. And the New Testament tells us that as Christians, we are exiles in this world. There are times for weeping in exile. Weeping as we see what sin has done to this world. The New Testament calls us also to a fierce loyalty to our God. We're told to consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. But the question is, should we also be screaming for judgment? Or to put it another way, what about that bit at the end? That's what bothers us. Should we be screaming for judgment today? We can answer that question when we realize that for all the ways our situation today is similar to the psalmist's, it's also different in one major way. Our situation is different because God's judgment has fallen. God has answered the psalmist's cry. In the New Testament, we see God's judgment fall. But it doesn't fall on his enemies and their children. It falls on God's own dearly loved child. Galatians tells us God's curse on his enemies was carried out on Jesus. On the cross, Jesus was taken and dashed against the rock of God's justice. He was dashed against the rock so that God's enemies could go free. Earlier we read these words from Jeremiah. The Lord is a God of retribution. He will repay in full. Now we know that God's retribution fell on Jesus. He was crushed for his enemies' iniquities. And that includes our iniquities. 
The reason those who deserve judgment can escape judgment is because Jesus took the judgment himself. So when we read Psalm 137 today, we can say, yes, God hates evil. He has not let evil go unpunished. Yes, God cares about justice. He has seen that justice is done. The Father and the Son conspired together in this. Together they carried out this amazing thing. Justice has been done. Evil has been punished. And yet the guilty can go free. Yes, it's true. Those who reject what the Father and the Son have done will still face God's judgment. They will themselves be dashed against the rock of God's justice. The New Testament is very clear on that. But our calling today is no longer to pray for judgment on God's enemies. Our calling is to pray that God's enemies will turn and be reconciled to him. That his enemies will come and worship the one who was dashed against the rock in their place. So biblical spirituality is cross-centered. It gets stirred up, yes. And it also recognizes that the psalmist's scream for judgment has been answered. No rape or murder or oppression or cover-up will ever go unpunished. Jesus has been punished for those evils. And we have God's promise that there will be eternal punishment for those who reject Jesus' work. Either way, the psalmist's scream for judgment has been answered. So today, it's right that we get angry at evil, both the evil that we do ourselves as well as the evil others do. It's right that we get stirred up about injustice. But we have no right to pray for people to suffer judgment that Jesus has already suffered for them. God's enemies may well end up in hell. But we are to pray that they turn and accept the amazing work Jesus has done. We want his enemies to be brought to the justice of the cross rather than the justice of hell. And as we do, as we pray for God's enemies to be brought to the cross, we can also sing our songs of Zion. Because at the cross, God has shown that he cares about the damage done by sin. He cared enough to die to undo that damage. Not only that, at the cross, God has shown himself to be powerful. He's shown himself to be faithful to his promises. At the cross, God won the greatest victory of all. Jesus rose again. Evil and sin and death can never have the final say. So even as we're in this place of exile, and even as we get rightly stirred up by the wrong that we see, even though we weep at times, we can still sing songs of joy. We can take our banjos down from the trees. Sin and evil and death have been conquered. 
So how do we meditate on a psalm like this one? We do it by reflecting on how Jesus has answered the psalmist's prayer for judgment. We're going to close with two songs that help us to do that. They're songs that remind us we deserve judgment ourselves. We'll stand and sing, first of all, what kind of love is this? And then you are beautiful beyond description.